Well, about, about 10 years ago, my grandma, her name is uh, uh, Judine McKinnon, she was driving on, on the highway up by Glenwood Springs. She's driving along the highway, and all of a sudden, a rock falls from the sky and crushes her car. And she wasn't hurt. Miraculously. Miraculously. Like literally one one-hundredth of a... She was driving 50 miles an hour on the highway, and a rock the size of a Volkswagen landed on her, the front of her car. Just... Wow, just unbelievable. And she's telling me that story, and I was like, wow, do you think God is trying to get a hold of your life? And you know what? She started going to church. She's going to church. She's, uh, wow, God knows how to get a hold of our life. God knows how to rock your world. And sometimes we need (laughs) God to rock our world. We need him to challenge the way we think about life or the way, the direction that we're going. Sometimes he's like, we need him to just say, you're not going to go that direction. And sometimes it's painful. Sometimes you really like the girl you're dating and God is like, no, you're not going to do that. And so he sends a horrible or a dramatic event into your life to change your direction. It doesn't have to be dating. It could be a job. He knows how to do this. God is good at rocking world. Sometimes, though, we can get so calloused that we need to be softened by his grace. And so he'll send an event to, to, to bring softness into our heart. Sometimes we can get so prideful that we need to get humbled, huh? And he knows how to do that. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? That was a great story in Daniel chapter 4. Go check it out. How Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God. God literally made him insane. But he was humbled. When God rocks your world, it can be hard. But it's always so that we can fix our attention back on him. It's, it's always about Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. That's why the hard things happen in your life. It's, it's always got to be that. It's not so that we try harder to come up with a new strategy. It's always about our relationship with Jesus. That's why these things happen. And so as we, as we dive into Genesis chapter 28... We're going to see the relationship with Jesus is such an important, vital part of our, of our life. Let's look now in Genesis chapter 28, verse 1. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So I do have a map, I think. Do we have the map? I don't know if we have a map. Do we? No, no map. I don't have a map. Just ignore that statement. <laughs> I thought about giving a map for you guys that showed that what's going on right now is Isaac and Jacob are living in the promised land. They came from Babylon. That's where Abraham was from, from Ur of the Chaldees. So to get from Israel to Babylon, there's a giant desert in the middle that you can't walk across, at least in this day. It was crazy. So they would walk all the way up and around, up into Syria, up here, and then down into Ur of the Chaldees. So that's the way that Abraham came, and that's the way they would go back and forth across the Fertile Crescent. So Padan Aran is at the very top of this, up in Syria. And so it's interesting that 
Rebecca, or, yeah, Rebecca's um, family here, they had moved to Padanaram right up here at the border of the promised land. And so in our story, Jacob has to flee from his family because Esau, his brother, is really mad at him. If you remember last week, Esau got his birthright stolen from him. Jacob twisted the blessing, and Isaac gave him the blessing instead of Esau. And so there was a lot of family strife, strife in here. And Rebekah and Isaac said, buddy, you got to go. And then none of this was of the spirit. They should have all been much more loving and, and honest with each other, but each one of them were in their flesh, and we saw that last week. So do you remember back with Adam and Eve that God looked at Adam and said, it is not good that Adam be alone, right? You remember that? Well, now Isaac and Rebekah look at Jacob and they say, you're not really good alone. <laughs> you need some help here. They're a little concerned with his current situation. Uh, but they really don't trust any of the pagan people in their land that they live in. And so they direct him to go back to their family in Haran, to, to Laban. And this is the beginning of how God is going to get a hold of Jacob's life, how God is going to rock his world. He uses Isaac and Rebekah to do this. And God can use your parents sometimes to help you get on the right road. But God is truly your father. The one setting the path before you. That's really God, not just your parents. And it's probably not what you expect it to be as you go forth in your life. But God is going to be with you and help you through every single step. We're going to see so many things are going to come in Jacob's life over the next few years that he, he is not prepared for that are just going to devastate him. But yet, we're going to see God is with him and God has a purpose for every single moment of it. So life can get challenging and hard. But we have to remember that God is with us and he is our father who has prepared these things for us. The promise that Isaac had given Jacob, that Abraham had given Isaac, that God had given Abraham, this promise involved descendants. So Isaac knows that Jacob needs to get married. It's got to happen. And so he, he sends him out here to get married. Now look at verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. These are the descendants he's talking about. That you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and they went, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. What's sad is this is the last time that Jacob is going to see his mom or dad. And it didn't have to be this way. Like if they would have not been in the flesh last week, they could have been a happy family. But because of sin and because they were trying to find their own way to get these blessings, they're missing out. But Isaac is teaching his son that the most important thing for him to know is the promise. Isaac is reminding Jacob of the promise. Isaac now, he's kind of been corrected by God. And Isaac is now saying, okay, Jacob, you just, if you can remember anything, remember the promise. And the promise is summarized in that God has given 
given. God gives. That's the language of grace. He desires to give. And we studied last week about seeking God for these blessings, seeking that if he wants to give me something, how do I get that? How do I receive it? How do I take it and grasp hold? And we learned about walking in humility and faith as how to grasp that. Well, he's given a blessing in this promise. That means help or provision, the things that you need, all that you need. He's given a land. That means he's given a place for you to be, a place for him to fulfill his word. You don't have to come up with that on your own. Well, God, where am I supposed to be? You don't have to worry about that. God is going to place you in the land that he has for you. And he's going to give you the things that, he need, that, that you need at that time. So he gives us a blessing or help, provision. He gives us land. And descendants is the third part of this promise. Um, for Jacob specifically, it was one descendant that was really important. That was going to be Jesus, a man that was going to ultimately fulfill the will of God. In our life, he gives us descendants. He gives us heirs. He gives us people to teach the word of God to as well. Well, Jacob hasn't done anything to earn this promise yet. I don't even know if Jacob believes this promise yet. It's the same promise that Abraham did believe and Isaac believes, and Isaac is teaching his son Jacob to believe, but I'm not sure that Jacob believes yet, but he will. He will. All that Jacob did right now to be in this position was he was born. That's all he's done so far that's been productive. (laughs) He was born. He is a sinner just like his brother Esau and his mom and his dad. Yet he has this opportunity to learn and believe and trust God. God still offers this promise to an unworthy person today. He offers it to us. This same promise that I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to put you where I want you to be, and I have a man appointed that's going to take care of you, and that's Jesus Christ. He takes care of us. He's the purpose. So it, it kind of reminds me of Romans chapter, chapter 5, and I'll read it to you guys. It says, in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man would someone die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So he's saying while we were not deserving, Jesus still fulfills this promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and us. And that's what we need to understand as we read the book of Genesis. Every time it talks about the promise to Abraham, it is for you too. It is for you. Take ownership of it and say, I am a descendant. Not physically, but in Romans and in many places in the New Testament, it says we are sons of Abraham or daughters. Didn't mean to offend. (laughs) We are included in this promise, not because of works, because we did something productive, we did something to earn it, but by his blood we can receive this promise that he loves to give. So look now in verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram. 
to take for himself a wife from there. And that he blessed him and he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. And Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Maheleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabojoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives that he had. Now remember, Esau is a type of the flesh. He just says, what can I get done? What can I do to please God, to please my father, to get myself ahead in life? What, it's all about me and my efforts and my abilities. And here Esau is now trying even harder to please his parents and, and earn this blessing. He's like, oh, maybe the reason why I wasn't blessed is because of my crazy wives. There's so much wrong with that statement. <laughs> the problem must be the wives that I chose. No, Esau, the problem is you. And maybe you're thinking, maybe the reason why I'm not experiencing blessings in my life is because of my crazy wife. If it's wives, we have a different discussion to talk about. But I, I know that there can be a real struggle in marriage in thinking that your spouse is holding you back. And that is simply never, ever the truth. You can be a godly man with a horrible wife. And you can be a wonderful wife with a goober husband. I know. I, I know. I've been there. Like I, in my testimony, if you guys haven't heard my testimony, you need to go to our website and listen to it. But my wife, I mean, she was having affairs, not my wife now, so don't, I, I was married before, and my wife had affairs and was, was brutal. It was tough. And through that time, God, I was walking with God, and I know that I served the Lord, and in love, I was patient with her. And that it was only the spirit that enabled me to do that because every part of my body was like, she has cost me everything. I was a pastor before she had an affair, a youth pastor. I was on my way to be the, the next guy. And I, and, and, and I quit. I, re, re, I uh, resigned the day that I found out. And those thoughts were in my heart of, she's cost me ministry. She's, she's going to cost me these things. Well, as that happened, the Lord, you know, has, has brought me through and changed me and given me grace and taught me that I can serve God no matter what is going on, no matter what. And I want to give that message to all of us in here because when you get married, things aren't always easy. Things are not always easy, but it is not your spouse holding you back. It never is. They might be sinning, no doubt, but God wants you to be godly and to serve him. And to trust him. So, didn't have that in my notes, but it's there. Out there now. <sighs> Esau, he thinks that he can do something to change his situation. The problem with Esau, though, is that he didn't want any help from God. He just wanted to help himself. It's like, well, there must be something I can do to change this. No, Esau... 
he clearly represents the flesh because he totally is controlled by his flesh and he's totally dependent on himself. Your pride has made you an enemy of God and, and kept him from being your helper, Esau. He would love to help you, but your pride keeps that from happening. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The flesh always can find a way to add to its resume. Look at what Esau's doing here. He's saying, I know, I'll just add more onto who I am. I already have these wives, but they don't make my dad happy, so I'm going to add these wives because they were from Ishmael. It, it just doesn't make sense. But the contrite or humble spirit finds a way to reduce its standing, to deflect attention to God, to confess its need, to become less popular, to become less sufficient, less able, more dependent. And so the humble become an empty cup for the Lord to just fill with his blessings while the prideful are overflowing with self-sourced works. Esau is just full of these self-sourced works. The humble don't do that. The prideful aren't willing to accept a free gift of God. They don't want that. But Esau, he's outside of the family of God. He's off doing his own thing, and so God is relatively silent in his life. You don't hear God saying, Esau, come back to me. Esau, you've done wrong. No, God is just kind of silent in his life. But God is about to rock Jacob's world. You'll laugh at that in a second. Jacob meets the God that everyone's been telling him about right here. Look at verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on earth and its top reached up to heaven. And there were angels of God and they were ascending and descending on it. So Jacob starts out on this long journey. It's about 470 miles that he was going to walk. He's broke. He has a guilty conscience. He is lonely. He's scared. He's insecure. He's confused. He's unsure. And he's using a rock for a pillow. I guess you could say he's stoned. It's a Colorado joke. We're in Denver. All right. All these things add up to God giving him a dream. All right? God decides this is a great time in Jacob's life to reveal himself to Jacob, a really amazing truth about God. God many times uh, visits us when we are the most broken, when we're kind of in Jacob's shoes, his sandals, where we're, we're guilty and we're, we're just broken and our life is just, we're leaving everything we've ever known and we're going to an unknown place. We're unsure. It's so many times that that's when God chooses to intervene in our life. When bad things happen, you know, some have chosen to say, well, God is about to show up so I can rest in him. And that's a good attitude to have. So check this out. Jacob sees a ladder in his dream. This is a revelation 
the simple interpretation of this, you might think in your head, why would God show him a dream of a ladder? This is, the interpretation is that God, there is access to heaven. There is access to heaven. There is a possibility of connection and relationship between God in heaven and man on earth. And that's what God is revealing to Jacob right now. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Many people claim to know what this ladder is that gives people access to God. There used to be a video game that would grant God mode with a secret password. Is this ladder just a password to God? Is that what access to God is? There are also countless religions and churches that claim to have the right knowledge or formula or roadmap or list of works that will give you access to God. In fact, every church claims that. Every church claims that they have the weight. That's why they're a church. You wouldn't really start a church if you didn't think that it mattered. Well, what is the access to God? Is this ladder a, a piece of knowledge that you have to know? Is this ladder a formula? You've got to add a little of this and a little of that, and poof, you have a ladder. Is this ladder a roadmap? Well, if you go here and you do a certain way and you stop at the communion table and then you go, then that's the ladder to God? Is this a, a list of works that we have to do? No. The simplest way I could say this is this ladder is Jesus. This ladder is Jesus. This is Jesus showing up again in the Old Testament, but this time as a ladder. In John chapter 1, verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We've found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Kind of like Pueblo. Ooh, I don't have any friends in Pueblo, so... I'm not even... I know, your family is from Pueblo. And Philip said, well, you're going to have to just come and see. <laughs> Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. So Jesus kind of excited to see Nathanael. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, uh, Well, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Wow. Nathaniel gets to be the first person in history to learn what this ladder is. He learns this lesson, that Jesus is the access to God, that Jesus is the ladder 
Jesus refers to the dream that Jacob had in Genesis 28 that we just read. That is what Jesus is talking about. This is the only place in the Bible where it says angels ascend and descend on something. In Genesis, it says it's a ladder. Jesus says it's me. Wow. Jesus just interprets the Bible for us. And Nathaniel, I think, must have been asking God when his son would show up. In the book of Daniel, there are many prophecies that give us the exact number of days it would be when the Messiah would show up. In Daniel chapter 9, there's this great prophecy called the 70 weeks prophecy. And, and in it, it, we get an exact number, 185,880 days from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that was given by Artaxerxes on April 28th, 4 something BC, 473 BC, I think, 473. And, and it says, count the days, and then the day that, that that number comes up, the Messiah will present himself. And I think Nathaniel was maybe thinking about that, thinking, the Lord, there is this prophecy, and that time is coming up soon. It's about three years away. Well, that time did come. That day did happen, the day that Jesus, one week before his death, and he rode in on a donkey, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. And all the people were singing, Hosanna, glory be to him who comes in the name of the Lord. That's because they all knew that he was saying, I'm the Messiah. This was the day. And remember, he stood over Jerusalem that day and he cried. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he wept over her. If you would have, I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks. If you would have known this, your day, this, your day, if you would have been ready for this day. But they weren't ready. They weren't ready to just submit to Jesus and follow Jesus. No, they wanted to rebel against Rome. Well, Nathaniel, I think Nathaniel has been praying about this. And he's been talking about this with the Lord. And I think he was sitting under a fig tree doing it. And his heart was just going out to the Lord saying, Lord, when, is your ac- when can I have access to heaven? When is your ladder going to come? When can I be like the angels who just ascend and descend, come from you and go to you? When can I have that kind of access? And I think Jesus is like, guess what, Nathaniel? What's up? It's me. And that's why he said, here's a true Israelite. When Nathaniel shows up, Jesus is like, homeboy, you have been in the word. You have been studying your Bible and you know that it's coming. You're a true Israelite. And I'm excited to be with you, my friend. And guess what? I am it. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's cool. Ah, but look at what, uh, where Jesus takes Nathanael's attention. Not to the Son of God part, not to the King of Israel part, that's where Nathanael went, but to the relationship with God part. That's where Jesus draws Nathanael back. Access to God is what this latter speaks of. Nathanael, I am the Son of God. I am the King of Israel, just like you've said, but I am your access to God. That's what he's drawing his attention to. I answer your prayers. I come to you, bro. I see you and I am with you and all all the times you need anything, I will be there and I will supply what you need from heaven. Heavenly supply. That's what Jesus brings us. This ladder speaks of relationship. 
I said, God will rock your world, but it's always to draw us back into relationship. Well, this ladder is going to teach us a lot of things about relationship. We go up the ladder of Jesus to ask for help and resources from our Father. And then he sends down those resources and grace through his Son, Jesus. He is the relationship that we have with God the Father. It's so cool how it works. It's never a philosophy. It's never a doctrine or a knowledge that obtains God's help. God doesn't care how much of the Bible you know. Do you access him by his son? Do you know Jesus himself, the person? That's what he's concerned about. His help can't flow through a philosophy or a doctrine or our brains. Our brains aren't the latter. Only Jesus is. It's never a formula, like a plan or a strategy. You can only grasp onto the rungs as you climb up a ladder to pull them close, just like we grasp onto Jesus and pull him close to enter into heaven and obtain heaven's resources. It's only Jesus that makes a good ladder. It's never a roadmap. It's never a list of of works. You know, church is not a roadmap. It's not a list of rules. It should never be anything but a relationship with Jesus, just pulling him close. He is the ladder. He is the access. You can be your the worst communicator. You can be the most unskilled teacher. You can be the ugliest, the most insufficient person. And if you just trust in Jesus, that ladder is open. You have access to God. You just have to believe that Jesus is the ladder to heaven. That Jesus is this. The access to God. Now look, turn in your Bible a couple pages over to John chapter 3, verse 18. Jesus says, he who believes in him is not condemned. That means himself. He who believes, believes in me is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, it's all Jesus and only Jesus Heaven and hell are only decided by what you believe about Jesus, not whether you go to church or not. Not how good you perform. Not performance. Not even thinking rightly about Jesus. It's actually believing that matters. Even if you think you know Jesus doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Belief comes from the heart. And the connection with Jesus is only from the heart. And I know a lot of people that think about Jesus a lot. And they think they know Jesus. But do they really believe that he is the only thing that matters? Their relationship with him. In John chapter 14, if you were to keep going over in the book of John, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes or has access to the Father except through me. He is not a ladder. He is the ladder. No other way. There's no other truth besides him. There's no other life. 
Even though the world tries to say, oh, there's another way. You don't have to believe in Jesus. Our own hearts say there's, there's other life apart from church and Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what if I miss out on some other way that's in this world? What if I get too crazy about Jesus? What if I don't study enough in school or get the right education? Or, or what if I don't get the right job? Am I missing out on something? What if there's some other truth out there that's really, really important for me to know? Something. What if there's something else in this life? What if I miss out on, on the fun of this life? Or people look at me and say, I have no life. Only Jesus, guys. Only Jesus is life. Only Jesus matters. Our jobs don't matter. Our careers don't matter. Our houses don't matter. Only Jesus matters. Well, you're just one of those narrow-minded Christians that thinks it's all about Jesus all the time. Yes. Yes, I am. Any other questions? Observations? It's kind of like breathing. Nobody ever gives me a hard time for being obsessed with breathing. Well, you just breathe all the time. Goodness gracious, get a life. God is going to now make a promise to Jacob. He's given him this dream and this ladder. Now he is going to himself give this, another iteration of this promise that we've seen so many times. Look at Genesis chapter 28, verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it, above this ladder, and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, I will give you to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the, excuse me, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, Jesus, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So Jacob now hears directly from the mouth of God this amazing promise. Jacob now has a, a personal interaction with God. He's only heard about him from his parents before. Now he's actually kind of meets him. Where? At the ladder. God relates all these promises for Jacob at the ladder. He restates all these promises to Jacob at the ladder. If you ever lose track of where you're going in life, you're kind of like, I don't know what's, what my purpose is right now. I don't know what direction is. Go back to the ladder. Invest in your relationship with Jesus. Just go up to the mountains and get alone with your Bible and with Jesus. Or lock yourself out, kick out the family, and just get alone and say, Lord, I need some direction. I need you. And in that relationship, you'll find God will restate his promises to you. He'll reaffirm his direction for your life. 
He has, he has no desire for you to live a communicationless with him. He wants to have communication with you. He wants to guide you and lead you. But he will not do it on your terms. He says, come and wait upon me and I'll speak to you. But I hide myself from the world. I hide myself from those who think this is a game. This is not a game. I'm a real person. And if you're real about me, come and spend some time with me. Get alone. Get away from everything. Spend some time with me. So important. Well, it's exciting and, and it's comforting for Jacob to hear these promises. God doesn't restate any requirements for Jacob. God wants this relationship to be based on grace. God is saying all the things he's going to give to Jacob. He never once said, Jacob, make sure you keep the Sabbath. He doesn't say that. It's not law. He promises to do everything that Jacob needs. He says, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And I want us to, again to take this promise and apply it to us because this is the exact same thing he says to us. In Philippians 1.6, he says, being confident is the very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's exactly what he says to Jacob. This is for us. He is gonna, and that is how grace works is he's gonna keep working until you got it. He knows how much you fail. You think he's blind to how terrible we are? how much we sin? No, he sees it. And he doesn't care. He's like, I'm going to be faithful to fix you because I love you. Do you believe it? Do we believe it? Verse 16, back in Genesis 28. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And we're going to see Jacob's response right here. It's not great. I'll just tell you that. Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning and he took that stone that had been put at his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Well, Jacob, he's very impacted by this dream, but, but he doesn't understand everything about God yet. He thinks that all this happened to him just, just because he happened to be in the right place. He just stumbled upon the gate of heaven and the house of God. That it's some magical location like the magic kingdom. Like Mecca or Jerusalem or Salt Lake City for people in this world today. False. God is everywhere. What Jacob's saying here is not right. God is everywhere. There are no magical places, only wonderful ladder. Only a wonderful ladder. That can, you can have access from anywhere to, through Jesus to heaven, to God. Well, Jacob thinks this place it is where God is with him. He didn't realize that God said, he didn't even listen to what God said. God said he would be with him wherever he went. So why would Jacob think that this place is magical? Well, because Jacob is super immature right now. 
So Jacob, he makes a vow to God. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. God has given Jacob a promise. And yet Jacob is still trying to make deals with God. He's like the negotiator on Priceline. He's even promising God money if he makes good on his promise. Jacob, you're missing out everything right now. God made a promise to you. He wasn't looking for a promise back in return. He says, if God will keep be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Jacob is refusing to just trust the promise. He, he's trying to make an additional deal with God. Living by grace doesn't even cross his mind right now. He doesn't know about it. He, he doesn't get it yet. He's blind to it. But God knows how to break us of our self-sufficiency and our law-keeping heart. And he's going to do a great job of doing that in Jacob. But Jacob isn't surrendered yet. Surrendered to what? To all the laws that God asked him to keep? No. Surrendered to God's grace. God's promises freely given. Jacob just will not surrender to just trust. God said, I'm going to bless you and give you a land and descendants. Do you think clothing is too much for me? But Jacob's like, well, you got to promise me clothing. You got to make sure I'm not just naked out there. And God's like, oh my gosh, Jacob. Seriously, trust what I said. Trust my promises. You can tell he's not surrendered because he's making a vow to the Lord. But I thought making promises to God shows you're serious about serving him. Have you ever thought that? I've made so many promises to God. And every time it was foolish. The Bible says don't make a vow to God. Don't promise him anything. It's very clear. But we think all the time, I am never doing that again. And you know what? We always do it again. Every time we make a vow to God, it shows one thing. Not that you're sinful, not that you have bad intentions, but that you don't believe his sufficiency. That's what making a promise to God is. And Jacob just clearly shows it. It shows that you don't trust his word and his promises. Basically, his son. You don't trust his son. Making promises to God is actually offensive to him, the Bible says. You're saying, I don't need your help. I can do this on my own. Watch me do it for you. When we could have said, I'll sit here and watch your son do it for me. Do it in me. That's the difference. It's a big difference. 
And I've had to repent many times in my life from thinking that I could make God a promise. Actually, thinking that I could fulfill a promise. Making God a promise is just setting yourself up to uh, whatever. One, one of these ways is man-centered. The other is God-centered. Making a vow to God is man-centered. Look what I'm going to do. Trusting his son and his promises is God-centered. So I want to look at God's promise and Jacob's vow, and I'm just going to pull out from the text that we just read the specific action words that we see. In, In God's vow, it says, I am the Lord God. I will give you. I am with you. I will not leave you until I do all the things that I have spoken. All those things. Very God-centered, don't you think? Versus what Jacob promised to God. Check this out. If God will be with me and keep me in the way that I am going so, and give me bread and me clothing so that I come back to my father's house. That one is extremely man-centered. Do you see the difference in those two? One is man-centered, the other is God-centered. David Guzak uh, said this would have been a better prayer. He came up with a better prayer that Jacob could have prayed right now, a better response to this dream. He says, because you have promised to be with me and to keep me and to provide for all my needs and to bring me back into this land, which you swore to give to me and my fathers and to me, I will be completely yours, God. That would have been a great response. So what's the application? Is your heart man-centered or God-centered? Ask yourself this question. Do I desire to prove myself to God? Or am I surrendering to his way and his word to just trust him to prove himself to me. God likes it when we prove him. When we put our trust in him, we're saying, I'm going to give you, God, an opportunity to prove yourself faithful in this. And you know what God does in those times? Always proves himself faithful. Every time someone puts their trust in him, he comes through for them. Does that mean you always get healed? No. Does that mean things always turn out the way that you wanted? No. But is God faithful to his promise? Yes. He is faithful to his promise. How many times in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, this verse just rocked my world when I came, when I found it in the word, those who put their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. And it has been my life verse that when I put my trust in him, the world might shame me, but in God's mind, I will never be put to shame. And I, and I want that more than I want the world's approval. I want to please God. So I have to keep my mind God-focused and not man-centered. God-centered. And that's what we learn in this chapter, is that Jacob, he hears a promise from God, he learns about the latter, great revelation, And yet his response is, here, God, let me make some promises to you. 
I don't know what that dance was. I don't know what Jacob's doing. Jacob is just, a, he just has no clue right now about his own depravity, who he is before God. And we're going to see, though, God knows, and he's not afraid of this. He loves Jacob, and he's going he's gonna to totally work this out for his own glory. All right, so let's all stand up. We have a time of communion right now, and this is the time where we say, I believe your promises, God. Those who put their trust in the Lord, boom, right here, will not be put to shame. This is where we get to say, yes, I believe. All that pastor talks about, whatever. I don't remember it, but I trust you, God. And I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust your promise. And your promise, your word says, Jesus is sufficient for me. So I gobble him up. I take him and I eat it. All of it. I, be- I take it into me and I take it as mine. I believe his word, his sufficiency, that this is enough. I love that. And I'm going to drink him down. I'm going to drink his new covenant, this promise that God gives us his, gr- his grace through his own love. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we, we believe it. We stand here to say, I believe. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has not ever uh, believed, not ever made that choice to specifically trust you, Jesus, to be their substitute and sacrifice for their sin. I pray that right now they would pray a prayer, putting their hope and trust in you. They would say, Father, I need you and I believe your word. I believe what your son did for me. I am a sinner. I am not okay. And I need your grace. And I hear the word of the Lord proclaimed today says, you will give it to me. And I believe it. And I receive it by faith. I trust you, Lord. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working in everyone's hearts today as we as we are confronted with the challenges of life as you direct our paths and you, you move us about through the challenges and trials in our life. And Lord, I pray that we would just get away and, and spend some time alone with you this week. And Lord, I pray that we would have the joy of knowing that, that you are our ladder and that we're going up and down from the presence of the Lord upon you, Jesus, and we can actually hear the voice of our Father at the ladder, in that place. Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, this beautiful group of people and how you are changing us and growing our confidence in you. And I pray that you continue to heal our bodies, those who are sick and those who are uh, discouraged today. I, I pray you would encourage them by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.